You are listening to John DeYard's Life Spa, your premier source for health news in Ayurveda, where modern science meets ancient wisdom. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. John DeYard, and welcome to today's podcast. Today, I have a special guest, Heather Grish. She's the author of the Ayurvedic Guide to Fertility. She's a board-certified Ayurvedic practitioner. She bridges the worlds of conventional and alternative medicine to help women and men heal their physical and emotional lives. Heather is a, on the board of directors of the National Ayurvedic Medical Association, consulted with doctors and governments and insurance companies. She lives in San Francisco in the Bay Area, and you can, you can find out more about her and her book at um, heathergrish.com. That's Heather, H-E-A-T-H-E-R-G-R-Z-Y-C-H.com. And we'll repeat that here at the end. Heather, um, thank you so much for, for joining us. You know, your book, when you sent it to me and asked me to do the forward, and I did the forward to her book, by the way, um, I was so um, excited to see a book that was written about, you know, fertility and infertility from the Ayurvedic perspective, because for some odd reason, I ended up over the years treating a lot of women with infertility, you know, women in their late 30s or mid 30s or early 40s. Uh, maybe because we have six kids and my, my wife's last baby was at 43. Everything was perfect. Um, you know, but I think Ayurveda does seem to have such logical, brilliant wisdom for understanding the basic premise of, uh, of what causes this. I, I talked in the, in the forward about a, a woman, a medical doctor came in here and she said she had to get pregnant within this period of time and this time at this month and have the baby and squeeze it in between the six week break with her medical practice. And I was like, you know, babies don't do it like this. They, there's not, it doesn't work like that. You know, there was such, you know, and I think some of the major concerns we have is our culture is just going way too fast and we don't nest. We don't, we don't have prenatal wisdom that Ayurveda had. And I think what you've written here is a book all about prenatal wisdom and, and really the understanding how women can really, um, can really maximize their fertility. And, and for men too, now the, all the research, you probably have seen it, Heather, is coming out saying men you know, who drink is just as bad as women who drink when prior, you know, prior to pregnancy or during pregnancy, or well, obviously for men prior to pregnancy or, or smoke. So these issues are not just for women you know, to be concerned about, but they're actually for men. And clearly Ayurveda was all about that for thousands of years. The men, are, their responsibility is to make sure the woman is safe and healthy. And, prep, and prenatal preparation started a year or so, or six, at least six months before they even consider, considered conceiving and conception. So there's so much to talk about here. So welcome. I would love to just maybe tell us a little bit about yourself and then, you know, tell us, you know, what made you want to write this particular book? Yeah. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here and I'm a huge fan of yours. And also you were one of my teachers when I was in school. So this is a wonderful, wonderful experience for me to be here with you today. I wrote this book, um, I guess, because I wish that I had it when I was going through the process of trying to decide if I was going to be a mother and if I was going to become a mother, how that would happen. I was one of the women who decided to have a child later in life. I had a lot of focus on my career when I was younger and I was an athlete. So I was playing competitive softball till I was in my early 30s and I was really into yoga. And the idea of having a child 
came up for me at two points in my life. Once when I was in my early 30s, when I was married. And then we tried to get pregnant for a few months and then I got divorced and went for a few years without having a partner and then had a new partner. And by that time I was in my late thirties and was really thinking how to be very mindful about this. Cause I knew it, it didn't work the first time I had tried it. And my life had changed so much in that time. So when I was in Ayurveda school, after leaving my corporate career that I was in for a long time, I spent a lot of my energy when I was in school learning about the feminine aspects of Ayurveda and learning, well, I'm a woman, so of course I would do that. <laughs> so I, when my partner and I finally got around to having a child, we actually ended up getting pregnant on the first try. And I was almost 40 when I had my kid and I had such a different experience in that time trying to get pregnant than I did years earlier when I was younger. So, you know, supposedly it should have been easier for me to get pregnant when I was younger, but so much had changed in my life and in my health, my level of receptivity because of what I learned through Ayurveda and also through yoga. So I had and what happened between those two time periods was I um, started a daily meditation practice and I started studying Ayurveda and I was doing yoga every day and my whole life was changing. I remember walking down the street one day and going, oh, there's a plant there. And suddenly I started noticing all the plants. And I lived in a city, so that was obviously, you know, I'm used to seeing concrete buildings, but suddenly I started to notice nature more. And so it was this reconnection back with nature that happened for me as I started studying Ayurveda. And as I started to uh, learn more about my own body, I realized that I had been maybe programmed a little bit uh, in, not incorrectly, <laughs> I don't know if I would say incorrectly, but I really started to question my programming when I started to think about becoming a mother. That was a big thing, the programming piece. Do you, do you think that, you know, you as an athlete, do you think that had something to do with, you know, um, I know that a lot of women, uh, when they're, you know, competitive you know, athletics, athletes, you know, runners, triathletes, so on, they deplete their estrogen reserves, they get their estrogen checks, and they don't have any really to support a pregnancy. And, and I wondered if that was one of the factors that maybe you don't know, maybe you didn't get tested back then. And then all of a sudden, the yoga and the meditation, you know, just gave you that, we call it what Ayurveda sattva, that ability to be still and calm on the inside, that allows everything on the outside to function, you know, more better, more holistically, right? Yeah. And it's, uh, and, and it's such a simple, simple concept, but I wondered if, it, you know, if what you're sort of saying is you stopped, you, you smelled the roses, you saw plants, you saw, you saw what was really around you, even though you were in a city, and you, were, you found that inner space, that inner silence, that is where we come from, where we hail from. And if we don't have access to that inner space, which is like proportionally as void as intergalactic space, as Deepak Chopra used to say, um, you know, it's, it's such a, a, a powerful journey and, and, and we're, so, we're so forced in this culture to go outside 
to get our satisfaction. And it sounds like that's what you did, right? You went, you went within, right? Yeah. You know, I can't say whether or not it was what the imbalance was in my early 30s. I really didn't delve into it deeply enough. Um, I know that I had always had irregular menstrual cycles. And like all women that experience that, they're, when they go to their doctor, they're told, oh, just go on the pill and it'll fix it. Just go on the pill and then you'll be normal. And you don't have to worry about that, whatever it is, whether a woman, you know, for me, it was one issue for a woman. It's another issue. They get pimples, they get heavy periods. They're not getting their period, whatever the issue is. Oh, just go on the pill and it'll solve this. And so I think I wasn't really aware of what the imbalance was, but I could tell you a little bit about the kind of person I was then. I could tell you that, I, you know, I was eating a lot of meat and I was exercising every day and I was, you know, I, when I did yoga, I didn't do yoga for half an hour stretching in the morning. I did two to three hours of yoga <laughs> every day. <laughs> so it was kind of crazy. <laughs> I did. You, must, you must have related to the medical doctor story. Then, huh? I really did. I really did. So certainly um, there was a, a coming back into myself and I, I have this really vivid moment of waking up hungover on a friend's couch one New Year's Day with my ex-husband when I was in my early 30s. This kind of actually started my awakening process and what led me to Ayurveda. I woke up and we had been drinking. It was New Year's Eve the night before. And I woke up like everybody does, right? When they're in your 30s and 20s on New Year's. And I woke up and I said, okay, I want to be happy and healthy this year. And then I said, oh, crap, I said that last year and the year before and the year before and the year before, but I haven't done anything different. My life is exactly the same. And later that day, we were still over at this um, couple's house that we had slept over. We were at least responsible. We drank and, you know, slept over their house. So I watched my friend in her garden and she was just watering her plants and then she was done watering her plants and she just went and looked at this piece of lettuce and she just looked at it and the way she held it and the way she looked at it was i said what am i looking at she just was looking at a piece of lettuce and i said i don't know what that is but i need that i don't know what to call that I don't know, no one's ever taught me anything about that, but I need some of that in my life, that deep stillness and this deep connection with nature. Yeah. And, yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, so you sort of woke up and that started your journey into studying Ayurveda and looking into it, huh? Yeah, that's what happened. And so I kind of, I think when anyone in the middle of their life decides that they're going to change their career, um, I had to run sort of two parallel lives for a while, and that is taxing, but it's also good training for becoming a mother these days, especially if you're going to be a working mother, because when you're going to become a mother, you will have two jobs if you are working. Yeah, <laughs> certainly yeah, will. for sure. Yeah. So the story that you had that when, when I first read your foreword, I was like, oh my God, he just knocked it out of the park <laughs> because I felt like we're addressing something bigger with this book, even though certainly 
there's a unique situation. Every woman's fertility situation is so unique. What is going on in her body versus another woman's body? What is going on in her environment that influences her body is different than another woman's body. But collectively as women today, we're facing some things that maybe our mothers and our grandmothers didn't deal with. And there's really a new mindset and a new skill set that has to be adopted that hasn't happened yet for women. It's almost like the pendulum has swung so far. Maybe women going through empowerment, I'll call them movements of empowerment, that the pendulum has swung so far in this quest to achieve something that we've lost some of the things that were good and wonderful that made us unique as women, these gifts that we were born with uh, in the quest to become something or achieve something or um, be equal or... You know, I, uh, I read a study not too long ago about, about estrogen in women and estrogen is directly linked, according to the studies, to women's intuition. It makes them more aware. Um, so they preserve you know, to protect the baby. They're aware of danger before it happens. They know where not to go, where, where to go, where not to go. I 100% agree with you is that the pendulum has shifted to this point to such an extreme place that, you know, that the infertility rates are literally off the charts and we have, you know, real concerns. You know, I think one study over, uh, it's like 8,000 women, 8,800 women showed that, uh, showed that uh, 57% of them were actually looking into fertility, had fertility issues. That's just a crazy number that that would actually be the case. And, you know, and it's, you know, is it, and can it be, like you said, everybody's different, but is the underlying theme that we're just going, going too fast, pushing ourselves too hard. And we know when we push ourselves too hard, that estrogen levels are depleted. My daughter, who was 16 years old, she runs track and you know, she wasn't doing so well in track anymore and feeling really bad. We got our estrogen levels checked and they were in the tank. You know, we have to give her iron and ferritin and, and you, know, you know, natural sources of precursing estrogen, dial down our training, you know, all these things because we just push, 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 push. And I remember giving a, a lecture many years ago in a panel discussion in the East Coast somewhere. And uh, it was about female health and I was talking about how an Ayurvedic, when the Ayurvedic doctors came to America, they said, um, why is it that all the women have menstrual problems here? We don't have that back home. Now, they have some really, I think, weird issues with putting women aside and having them menstruate in seclusion. And I have a lot of issues with some of the, 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 the way Indian culture evolved. Um, and, and, and I think we're going clearly in the right direction. But one of the things that women definitely did do is they respected that the movement of energy was going down during the menstrual cycle. And if you then make it go up and run a marathon, you know, um, that, uh, you know, you're barring Peter from to pay Paul and you're going to go into debt. And, uh, and the reason why they realized was that women weren't respecting the natural cycle where the body was going within, not, not to stop but to go within, pull back the bow, become more self-aware so they can then become more effective leaders. I really truly believe that women are the best leaders. They're the best, they're the hub in my family. They're the hub of our family. They're the center which everything revolves around. 
And in nature and in the animal kingdom, it's the same way. Men go out and do whatever, but the women are the ones with the babies and they hang out with the family and they keep it all together. And it's such a beautiful thing. And I think we sort of, in the name of equality, which I think is never going to happen because women are, in my mind, far superior um, in so many ways. And somehow, because men are stronger, they uh, tell them that they have been in, in control of this whole plan. And uh, I think it's a, sort of a big mistake. But anyway, I got, I didn't go over well when I gave that lecture about that. There was like, women were just so upset with me that I would say that women should rest during their cycle. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. But uh, it's just simply, you know, uh, nowadays, I think more and more people are, are starting to get it. Um, you know, Martina Navratilova, she, you know, great tennis player, won numerous, you know, uh, titles to Wimbledon and all that. And, I, and uh, she told me that when she, she did this forward to my book, one of my books, and she told me that when she would play Wimbledon and she had a, her cycle was, you know, happening at that time, she just knew it wasn't going to be on her game and, and there were going to be a few games. She just didn't have it and she'd have to squeak through them, you know, but there were times in her cycle where she was just all over it. And it all had to do with, you know, the, the, the beautiful rhythms of nature that women are so deeply connected to and men aren't and our culture isn't. And I think the influence of, of, uh, of the, the respecting of these rhythms, now Nobel Prize winning science, is so critical. And that is, you know, fundamental for getting pregnant and staying pregnant and having a healthy baby and a healthy pregnancy. So, so let's dive in a little deeper and, and go into, you know, some of the things, what are some of the, like the top things that you see that women can be, have on their radar when they're, you know, you know, I guess, number one, preparing for pregnancy and then how they can, you know, you know, have the best, you know, success during their pregnancy. Like I said, I learned a lot from nature. I've learned so much from Ayurveda, but I think the, the thing that Ayurveda has done for me the most is to help me pay attention to nature more. And so when my partner and I first got together, we decided to take a trip together to Galapagos, to the Galapagos oh. Islands. And we went to see, you know, the, the blue-footed boobies and all the birds. And we got to walk around the islands and observe the birds. And a lot of them were mating at that time. And I can't remember if I actually ended up putting, it was in one draft of the book. I don't remember if it ended up, but I remember seeing these really elaborate rituals in person of the birds, you know, doing these mirroring dances and kind of collecting twigs and sticks and clearing the space out. And all the, it was just so amazing to see in person that I was like, Oh, okay. Like there, there's this process that you have to go through in order to bring a life into the world well. And so Ayurveda has done such an amazing job to outline that, which is essentially treating yourself like you're a plant in a garden. You know, the, the four, I call it the four fertility factors. It's not called that in the ancient Ayurvedic texts, but the words are the same, the, the seed, the season, the field, and the water. And when we, both men and women, get more in tune with ourselves, if you can look at yourself like that, and you can look at the, the soul that you're going to bring onto the planet with that same eye, that especially for the woman, you are the channel that the new soul is coming through. So the field in the four fertility factors, literally being her uterus, 
and the care for the uterus, that is sort of the most direct correlation. But then the uterus lives within a larger field of her body, of her mind, her emotions, her house that she lives in, her relationship with her partner, the work that she does, the stress levels in her body, the community that she lives in, the planet that she's on and how healthy the planet is. And all of that is centering back into the influence on that field in her uterus. So all that is coming there. And the seed being the health of the egg and the sperm, obviously there's a lot of issues we know of with that now. Women are having children later, so the egg quality is changing. Uh, men and women's health is becoming affected by stress, the way that we eat and live in our culture, and the sperm qualities are changing. So all of, the, all of these signs of health and fertility in our culture are, they've been tanking for a while. So it's, it's not just that, it's not just a problem of, oh gosh, women are, you know, we're just too type A now. And, you know, that's a part of it, but it, there's a, women are in a field. Women are in a, an environment that is either supportive or not supportive to their health and their, and, um, their baby's health. So cluing into those things the seed, the season, the time of the life where the woman decides to have a child, the time of the month where she is in her cycle, getting more in touch with the moon, uh, the season. I know you've written a lot about the eating with the seasons. And a lot of people just don't even know that certain vegetables grow in certain seasons and certain fruits grow in certain seasons and your body changes in the seasons. A lot of people don't even know that. So cluing your own awareness back into that and understanding the last piece of that, which is the water. And water in Ayurveda, you're probably aware, is the, the purpose of it is mixing. And in the body, it carries the hormones. So that's one of the, the purposes of that. But if you think about water on an energetic level, just interacting with people is like water. I mean, the oxytocin burst you can get from having a wonderful connection with someone. So thinking about it literally, but then also thinking about it as a metaphor, I think is really helpful. So the process that a woman would go through now, if she wants to become a mother and she wants to have a healthy child and she wants to be healthy at the end of it and she wants her partner to be healthy at the end of it and they want to have a good great wonderful life together you can go through the steps that ayurveda has laid out to balance your body your environmental energies your emotions before you try to conceive now a lot of people get pregnant and they don't even think about it they don't plan it just happens you know and that's great too but once a woman decides that or not decides once a woman notices that she is pregnant then that energy can be put into the cultivation of her body and the baby's life as it grows 
you know, um, the field is such a massive undertaking. When you put it the way you put it, it was so beautiful that it just keeps expanding and expanding. Um, so what, what are some of the ways that, that women can, can create, you know, a better, you know, more healthy sattvic field? Yeah. So first of all, a woman needs to understand her particular body and her own particular mind. And Ayurveda has done such a great job to help people understand that. Uh, through understanding their constitutional type, through understanding the doshas and the patterns of imbalance in their own body and learning how to eat, how to live, how to love, how to sleep, all in a way that creates the best functional outcome for their body. So, for example, in looking at vata, pitta, and kapha as doshas and when those are out of balance any of those are out of balance in the body is a sign that there's a lack of homeostasis and looking at those and then also looking at the agni of the body and whether or not that's causing any toxic blockages that would because because a dosha being out of balance or ama in the body either one of those could impede fertility so understanding, and I'm sure, I know on your website, you have some great tools for helping uh, people understand their doshas and their imbalanced patterns. Uh, so for example, if a woman finds that she's having kapha issues, uh, which are slow and heavy and dense and um, wet, earthy, mucusy, you know, in a cycle, you'd probably see like a lot of mucus, for example, um, tumors, things like that being present, cysts are common reproductive signs that there's excess kapha. The steps that Ayurveda would give to rebalance kapha, you know, your, your, your black pepper, your, you know, the, all the spices that can tend to rough up the body a little bit, um, the kind of tough love approach that kaphas often need. Um, which the other constitutional types don't can't imagine going through because it would really hurt them uh, right. in a very painful way. Uh, sometimes the kaphas can benefit from that. So, uh, you know, understanding that maybe kaphas don't even need to sleep as much. And the problem is that when you look at everyone around you, you think, oh, I'm like everyone else and I have to do oh, if in order for me to get pregnant, I have to do fertility yoga or something like that, which somebody made up, which is a bunch of yoga poses that might have worked for one person, but they're still not necessarily paying attention to what's going on in their own body. What's, why would you do that particular yoga pose? Mm. Like, so for me, fertility yoga, for example, would be a yoga pose that's really beneficial for your particular situation. Um, and so if you're dealing with a kapha issue, perhaps you're doing more backbends or maybe yoga is not the right thing for you. If you're having a kapha issue, you're running instead of doing yoga, right? So those are some examples of um, some of the practices. And, you know, it's a little unique for women with a cycle when you employ Ayurvedic treatments because one you have to figure out where you are in the cycle when things are happening 
So there, the natural flows that change um, of blood and fluids to the reproductive organs, like you said, when the energy drops down at certain time at that time of the month, um, when the uterus is filling, understanding that whatever you do when those other sort of seasonal monthly seasonal effects are happening is going to affect that the quality of what is is found in that part of the body so if you know that you are you know after you ovulate your uterus is filling with blood um, to start you know supporting the potential new life that's going to come in well you have to think about it like I'm cultivating this garden here right now. I'm cultivating the quality of the blood for this potential life that could come here. So understanding the balance of energies as they mix in your body to create that tissue. And the litmus test is always the menstrual cycle because when the menstrual cycle comes out, you can see when the menstrual blood comes out, you can see the evidence of how the last month went. <laughs> it's very clear. How that goes is evidence of what happened earlier. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. I always say that, you know, in everything in Ayurveda, prevention starts a season or a cycle two or three before. You know, if you're looking at not getting the flu, um, you're looking at that prevention took place not only in the fall, but what happened in that summer and what happened in that spring after the last, you know, flu season and all those things are just, you know, um, part of the, the beautiful ebb and flow. I never thought of it like that, that, you know, that the, the menstrual cycle is the actual end of a, of a cycle, just like the season is the end of the cycle and everything accumulates at the end of each cycle. So you get to see the, the, the the good, the bad, the ugly of your lifestyle based on looking at what happens at the end of every cycle, at the end of every year, like you said, maybe at the end of your New Year's Day, even though that's not actually nature's New Year. But the <laughs> idea is at the end of every cycle, you have these opportunities to reflect and really see in, in, in a tangible way how you did and, and, and what happened. I, I think that's, um, you know, really, really profound. Um, you, you mentioned... Um, well, let's talk about the, the seed for a, a second. Um, you know, that is such a, uh, particularly with men and, and women as well, um, are there any like major things that, that we know that are specifically, you know, contributing to, you know, low sperm count and weak sperm and, and you, know, you know, eggs, you know, either not being viable or whatever, are there anything just in terms of the lifestyle I'm sure the, the 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 field and lifestyle carries over into the into the seed as well, yeah. Yeah, of course. And I mean, if you look at our culture, the the birth rates have been going down, and it's so interesting because when I was researching birth rates in other countries, I was really surprised to see birth rates in you know Yemen and Syria and these places that had that were war-torn or had famine, they actually had really high birth rates. And yet us in this comfortable culture where we've got, you know, we can drive up to a drive-through and pick up a hamburger or, you know, pick up chips at 
midnight or whatever. We have access to so much food. And I just find it odd that where you have access to everything, the fertility somehow is getting clogged up <laughs> for people. And, you know, what is it about finding your, you know, with, with men, for example, and women, it's like everybody has to find the right um, balance of energies in their own life. And stress is such a unique thing because everybody, you know, so many people are doing yoga now because they don't want stress, but they're, they're actually good kinds of stress. And that is an art form. I think that's been lost understanding the good kinds of stress, the ones that activate you, the ones that make you, because in order to, invoke your fertility and just to have good health in general, you want to be really in touch with your primal self, yeah. that primal aspect. Um, and so, yeah, I guess with, I haven't seen anything about why other than stress, that's where all the research is, but what is it about stress that is causing that? You know, when, when people are stressed, is it that something they're doing is causing stress or that their life is causing stress. So it's, it's like, am I causing the stress or is my life causing the stress? Yeah. And what about way, like, yeah. what about like, um, you know, toxicity, you know, issues. I mean, I read an article that talked about like, you know, the vast majority of, um, of uh, kids um, with, um, um, you know, cognitive issues when they're born, things like that. Um, are men, boys, and uh, and they they linked it to significant amounts of estrogen related to child development in the womb, and a lot of the toxic estrogens, environmental estrogens, xenoestrogens, and things like that. So I wonder if you ran across any studies that that link, um, like with autism and things like that. Are there any studies that show that we are because we're living? Because I totally get the, the the lifestyle piece and 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 all that. But what about just the flat out toxicity that we're exposed to? How many you know you know endocrine disruptors are causing sperm related ovary you know ovary related or egg related issues? And are they a factor? And that, that women should be thinking about possibly, you know, a real digestive reboot and a detox prior as part of their, their prenatal prep. Yeah, I think I, I haven't come across the research. I'm, I'm not a, a research geek. <laughs> to be, oh, I am. I know you are and I love you for it. And it's, I love reading your stuff, but it, it's certainly, I'm not oriented that way um, to go out and seek the research. Uh, but you know, it, I think it's certainly a great idea for people to cleanse when you're talking about fertility. Cleansing is not necessary for everyone, but cleansing is necessary when there is a toxic buildup in the body. And there are clear signs when that's there for people. So all the, you know, any digestive issues, clear signs that there's either a dosha out of balance or there's, you know, which do environmental toxins can throw the doshas out of balance because the toxin will have a certain 
property to it, and then that will change that level of dosha in the body. So certainly that will um, affect. And so if there is an imbalance, cleansing is necessary in order to have a healthy pregnancy uh, and a healthy child. And in fact, in Ayurveda, and one of the things you know this, and I wrote about this in the book, is you want to prepare at least three months ahead of time. And, you know, six or nine or even 12 would be even better. Uh, prepare your both you and your partner to do uh, the right, you know, cleanse for your particular body so that your tissues are just super healthy, strong, rejuvenated, that you've got the ojas, that great, you know, clear flowing juice moving through the body and strong and robust, especially for women, because our bodies go through so much when we have a child, our bodies have to, and we're, we're really lucky because nature made us like shapeshifters, the level of change that we go through on a monthly basis and that we go through when we have a child. I mean, when I had a kid, I just couldn't believe it. And, and I'm kind of a geek and it was one of my motivators to have a kid. I said, I want to see what this body can do. I'm, I feel like I'm missing out by not understanding this female experience while I'm here in this body. Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's so much change that's happening. And so you want to be very robust and bounce backable. Um, I have a friend that made that word up, I think. <laughs> I'll use it here, bounce backable. Uh, and you know, and men may not go through as much of a change, but you're both dealing with sleep deprivation mm -hmm. after a baby is born. So make sure that you're having good sleep quality, it's a good sleep hygiene before you have a child, because it's going to be really bad for you if you already have a sleep issue and then you have a kid and it's even worse, which I actually think is because I was older having my first, well, my only child, I was almost 40. And my partner was actually uh, 51 when we had our kid. So that was actually the most difficult part was how our sleep is so different when we're older and how it's so much lighter. Uh, and he actually had a really bad sleep issue before, not really bad, but he, he had some troubles with sleep sleep before we had our kid and it was really bad for him after we had our child it was really really difficult and disruptive to his work so <laughs> yeah you know i can vouch for that you know we had six kids and um every one of them slept in our bed and at one point we had you know our bed and then a bed at the bottom a base for our bed and another bed to the side of the bed and we had the kid in each one with one front one with us and I mean, yeah, you just have to. Luckily, I was a, a deep sleeper. Um, um, it was. Uh, it's, it's, it definitely exposes the weak links. Let's let's put it that way. <laughs> you know what's interesting is I I, uh, I I treat a lot of um, Indian you know patients from from India that live here now and 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 uh, I have so many of them come to me prior to their pregnancy and say I want to get pregnant. Can I prepare? And it's just something that I just don't get from the Western, my Western patients. They just, I just, they don't, they don't think about that. They come and they say, I'm pregnant and what do I do? I mean, I get some, a little bit more and more, particularly with people who had a baby and then they're going into their next one and then they want to prepare because they know, okay, we need to prepare for this because I went in last time a little unprepared. 
but it definitely is a cultural thing. And I think it's something that, that we need that you're raising the, the awareness for sure, which is so critical. And I think also just about awareness, you, know, you talked about, um, you know, in Ayurveda, in the, in, the, in the Gita, it says, you know, the, my, and these are my favorite four words in all of the Vedic science, which is yoga sta kuru kamani, which means first you establish being, then you take action. So we pull back the bow, we become more self-aware. And then we act from that place of self-awareness. And I think from the point of view of the seed, um, from the point of view of the, of the, of the, uh, the field, y- you, we have to pull back the bow first, become more self-aware and take action from within. You know, and that might be letting the delicate petals of our flower open a little bit to be a little bit more vulnerable and take a risk to be you in this crazy world and not to do what you think everybody's going to like. That's a, a beautiful journey as well. Um, so I think, I think that's just such a great reminder is just to keep, you know, explore this inner space, which we've sort of put in the back burner. And then there's the, and then there's the season that you talked about. I, I wrote an article. I, I, uh, um, I was fascinated a couple of years ago about circadian medicine. I wrote an article about, I think it was called, are we seasonal breeders? Mm. And it talked about how before we had fire and before we had lights, which was very recent, that we actually were seasonal breeders that if we didn't, you know, breed in the, in the spring and have our baby in the fall, then um, that baby would be born. Um, you know, I'm sorry, you'll breed in the spring and then have our babies in the spring or breed in the, in the summertime, have our baby in the spring, actually how it works. Um, maybe we were born in the, in the fall, right before this crazy winter and, and the survival rates were really low. That's why most mammals, they do exactly that. They have their babies in the spring. And uh, melatonin is a, the, the, the uh, that molecule that regulates those light dark cycles. And they found studies in, in when they first, in the 1800s, they went to the Inuits and, and they didn't have light and very little fire and all that. They found that they were all breeding exactly at the right time, all having their babies in early spring. Uh, it was something that was just such a part of the rhythms of nature. And still to this day, the vast majority of babies are born in the spring versus every time of the year. And I was born out of, out of whack in August sometime. But the point being is that, was there any, I get this question all the time, I'm sure you do too. It's like, you know, when should I get pregnant and what, what season is the best? And is there any, um, anything you can comment on that in the, from the Ayurvedic perspective that there's a, that there's, those are part of the rhythms and we can lock in at a, at a better time. Yeah. I think every individual notices that they have a particular season that they feel most alive in, you know? So I think as the years go by, you, you start to notice that. Yeah. And Whatever the origin of that is, <laughs> if it's cosmic, if it's, you know, your, um, the way you ate, all these things. Let's so, talk more about the season then. Let's talk about I want to dive into that a little bit because that's, yeah. that's, that's, I think, so interesting. So the season of when, when, is, the, when is really the right time for a person? Well, just the season from how you wrote it in your book. That's the next yeah. one, right? Yeah. So when, obviously in the spring, the qualities are different. So we're in spring right now with the time that we're chatting and the climate where I live, for example, is one way and the climate where you live is another way that where I live, it's, um, we're in California. So the moisture level tends to be higher. And 
um, the moisture level being better, that would be perhaps more optimal for a, uh, a Vata person to have a, a child in the spring. So, you know, in the spring, if you live in a climate where it is more wet and juicy at that time of year, then that would obviously be a better time of year for someone with uh, a lot of dryness in their body to conceive um, if they were having some Im imbalances of dryness. Uh, and in the summer seasons, for women who tend to have those uh, really, you know, hot-blooded bodies, the, the pitta types, where the blood volume might be higher and they might be experiencing, you know, on a regular basis, very heavy periods or very um, frequent periods uh, because of that level of blood volume uh, and production in their body, then the summer might not be the best time for them to conceive because that's just going to go up even more. So just making sure that the energies are as, as balanced as possible and understanding when your body tends to go out of balance more in certain seasons. And obviously like if you're a kapha person and you do have a more wet body um, or a more sort of heavy body, that light lightness that happens in the fall season um, that crackly, the crackly thing that happens with the leaves and the dry, the dry qualities that happen in the fall might be better for a kapha person to conceive at that time of year. But that is all, you know, dependent on how well they already understand how to balance their bodies in those seasons. So I think that that's kind of the annual, that word, I love the word uh, kala, it, you know, season in Sanskrit, because it means time, it means season, it has so many interesting meetings, meanings, and I, I think that's, the poetry of Ayurveda is just so beautiful, because, you know, when you learn a new word, it really makes you feel and experience a little more than a word that you said a thousand times in your own language, and it kind of touches the heart more. So, we have these calendars that we all run based on with numbers on them and months and things like that. But the meanwhile, the sun's doing a bunch of, you know, the sun's doing its thing and the plants are doing their thing. And, you know, the angles of the sun and the moisture moving and the wind moving at certain times of the day and just starting to pay attention to those more. There's a big movement with women right now, actually, you know, you've, I know you've heard the term rewilding because I think you had somebody on your um, podcast that was talking about that mm -hmm. once. And for women, it's coming up in a different forms, but a lot of it is getting more in touch with the menstrual cycle and paying attention to the moon more. And I found that happened to me just organically as I started to learn about Ayurveda. I just was like, what's going on with the moon? And I started putting it on my calendar and, you know, paying attention to it where I just didn't pay attention to it before. And there is a movement now of women doing that where, you know, maybe I kind of was a little earlier on that. They didn't have apps. They probably have apps for it now. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they do. So is that a thing? Is like, so should women have their cycle with the full moon? Is that a thing? So, so many women um, ask me that all the time and should we train our cycle to the moon or, you know, is, I'm, I'm sure there's not a right or a wrong way, but I'm just curious yeah. what you have to say about that. Cause it's a I common mean, question. I, 
what I noticed in my practice is that women are all over the map. Yeah. And me personally, I sometimes I'm in sync with the moon and sometimes I'm not in sync with the moon. And whether we should, I know that my teacher, so one of my mentors is Dr. Shre, uh, Sarita Shrestha. And certainly that was one of the things that she taught us. She taught us a lot of amazing things uh, about uh, even what you were talking about earlier uh, with um, the, the, the home environment and things like that for women and the culture that we have and how women exist within that culture. For example, my teacher in Nepal, they live in multi-generational families. So when a woman has her cycle, so you might have, you know, the, the grandparents, then the, you know, the parents of the child and the child all living in the same house together, doing their work, you know, and obviously when you're in your middle part of your life, you're stronger and able to do more work and things like that than when you're, you know, say in your eighties. Right. So it makes sense that you'd want to have the, the middle agers available for, to do the most amount of work at that time. But for women, there is this very unique period of the month and also having a baby. There's unique situations where, women do need a little bit of a different space to go through something to let something process. And in these multi-generational families in Nepal, they actually have a room in the house where the women would go when they're on their cycle. And I know when I first heard this, I was thinking, no, they're putting the women down. They're not letting them do their work. But the way she told us it's actually experienced is no, they get to go and work on all their creative projects, like that it's a privilege and that the women each month, they save up all their creative projects for that month and they mm-hmm. go and work on them when they get their period. And I just found that to be such an inspiring idea that, you know, connecting back up with the moon, it doesn't have to be that your life is getting disrupted. You can actually figure out how to create a lot of beauty with it. Um, So yeah, I think there's this movement happening right now where women want to get more connected up with the cycles of the moon. They want to get connected up with the seasons more. Uh, And also that word kala is so big because it also talks about the time of life. So it, encompasses all of those things it's not you know my stopwatch on my iphone but understanding that there are certain times of the year the month the life that are more optimal and yeah there's a general good and bad to follow but because we don't have the kind of structured society we don't live uh, homogeneously we don't all live the same lives. We all have different kinds of jobs. We all have, um, you know, like I'm home sheltering in place right now. I don't have to go bag groceries in the grocery store. Um, my lifestyle is really different than someone else's. So the right time is really different for each person. If we had really similar lives and really similar cultural rhythms, then I think some of these things would be more um, universal. 
but because our culture is so mixed and we have so many different kinds of lifestyles, I would say, yes, probably in, in a world where we were not creating all these micro cultures that women probably would be more synced up with the moon and that the cycles probably would sync up. Mm. Yeah, maybe it's a, I think it's a beautiful concept to, to look at the cycle um, in terms of the timing, in terms of, you know, you know, the length of the cycle, the quality of the cycle, the quality of ovulation, you know, the second half of the cycle where the rubber meets the road oftentimes um, are really important things to evaluate. And if bringing your body into balance gets you a, a, a regular cycle, a smoother, you know, menstrual flow, um, less PMS, and maybe even aligned with the moon, maybe all where we need to go. We have a lot of distractions that are way out of our control. Lights, we turn them on at six o'clock at night, and they're on till ten o'clock at night if we're, you know, if we're good, right? And that's you know four or five hours of melatonin that you don't produce just because of that. So we're, we're off the bat living in a against the grain, against the current kind of a lifestyle with our circadian rhythm. So those circadian rhythms include, you know, the, the, the monthly cycles as well. Um, but uh, so, so I, I think you're right. I think if you put it all together in, into a real circadian clock and where we're really living in sync with nature without the distractions, which are just part of the culture now, I think some amazingly different things would happen. Um, yeah. Um, you mentioned the last one was water, right? So, so real quickly on, on water, what, um, what's the takeaway there? Yeah, so obviously when you're a woman, a lot of the women who are concerned about their fertility are, you know, over 30, over 35, some over 40. And there's a lot of focus on, okay, should I go get my hormones checked, right? So water being the carrier for the hormones so the you know the hormones being carried, messages from the brain being sent to the organs. You know the the hormones are little messengers that are telling certain parts of the body to do something, and it's the water that brings that. Water is also you know kind of a form of love and affection, right. uh, and and mixing in Ayurveda. And what I've experienced a lot in my practice is women coming to me going, "Okay, I'm 38 years old. Should I go freeze my eggs?" because they hear that that's a thing or should I go get my hormone levels tested? Uh, and personally, I know what that's like because I did that. I, when I was, you know, 38, I was going, I don't know if this is going to happen. I don't know if he's ready. I was going through kind of a different issue. Um, and I said, let me go make sure I'm good. So I did actually go run my follicle stimulating hormone and my luteinizing hormone, the FSH and the LH. And so when women come to me because they want to prepare their bodies to uh, be ready to become a mother, to be ready to receive life, they say, should I go check my hormones? And I go, you don't have to, but if it's going to put your mind at ease, go for it. Because once your mind starts cooking up all these what ifs, sometimes you do need a good data point to uh, put it at rest. <laughs> but there's also an alternative, which is you can also learn to pay attention to your body because there are signs of health that you can look for. And, you know, I, I, one of the things that I write about in my book, 
speaking of water and lubrication, since we're talking about reproduction, obviously you can't forget that part. And there are a lot of women who get the idea that they want to become pregnant, but then they're not even attracted to their partners. They're not actually, you know, experiencing the signs of attraction, mm -hmm. physical signs of attraction for their partners. And I find that happens a lot with women uh, in my practice. So part of it is getting women to understand the physical signs that are going on because sometimes women are actually thinking they want to have a child because they see everybody else around them doing it or they think it's something that they're supposed to do. Yeah. And that can be really confusing or it can be like, Oh, she did it. So I should do it. Or she did that. I want that. There's something wrong with me if I don't do that. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of mental component to it, but the body is always the winner when it comes to fertility and paying attention to what's happening with the body. So women will notice that their cervical mucus changes throughout the month. Um, some of them may not notice that at all. So like a Vata body may just be very dry the entire time, you know, or a, a Kapha body, they may notice that just extremely high levels of moisture all the time. So if there is a dosha that's out of balance, sometimes it's, it is a little bit harder to detect those classic signs of um, whether you're fertile at a certain time of the month. But yeah, water is, you know, mixing, it's, it's, it's the poetry of, of love and uh, connection and affection. And, you know, one of the things I love about the Ayurvedic cleansing uh, systems, you know, when people go through Panchakarma, I love the fact that it starts with this lubrication phase because that's the sweetness that is necessary to endure. Usually, you know, going through a cleanse is not an easy thing, right? So the, the job of the water is to bring the sweetness and the comfort and the love so that the, the difficult stuff can be endured that's going to come later. Yeah. So, yeah. Yes, I think, yeah, I think of water, just like you said, I, you know, it's, it's all about love and, and the hormones you said are carried by the water and oxytocin being one of the big ones is the bonding, loving, giving, caring hormone. And, and I think that, um, you know, part of the preparation in pregnancy is to, um, you know, really give yourself completely and fully to that other person. It's not um, a physical relationship anymore, although that can be, be expressed but it's a, it's a bonding at a much, much deeper level. It's a bonding of trust where you've given, you've trusted yourself to open yourself up in such a delicate way that you give yourself so fully to that other person and they feel so safe in that love that they do the same. And that's a communication based on true love. And, and I think that is, uh, the, 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 you know, that's what water is all about. That's what oxytocin is all about. And I think that sets up the field. And I guess from water, you go right back to the field and you keep setting these things up to make them better and better. Because, you know, when you, like you said, if you could marry someone and you have babies because you kind of sort of think you should or, or everybody else is doing, or you think it might actually have a baby will help save our marriage. If we had a kid to love or a puppy, then it would help our marriage a little bit and make things better. And, 
and it can sometimes, but in the long run, it never does. You have to do the work on, you know, yourself to take off your armor so you feel safe to give yourself fully to the other person. And I think that's really the beautiful thing of a family, um, raising a family and is learning. It doesn't mean you all have to have it before you start the process, but you have to be committed to, and it helps to be committed and to be aware of that process going into it. That this is a journey, not just for raising kids. It's a, you're gonna, those kids are gonna teach you how to be you. And if you take on that, that challenge, then um, you all grow in the process. So it's an incredible journey. And I feel like you know, with six children, I'm still growing every day and you know, didn't know anything when we started this whole journey. So, uh, but I think if you're committed to what Ayurveda preaches, first and foremost is first established being, you know, and then act from there. Doesn't mean we all get it right away, but, but you can't lie to yourself forever. You know, you can't pretend that it's one way when it's not forever. And that's, I think, the, you know, the beautiful thing about your book, you know, The Ayurvedic Guide to Fertility, is, is that um, you give so many tips and so many, so many strategies to help people get connected and to also, you know, navigate through, you know, the, uh, the potential imbalances and roadblocks along the way of being, beginning having their baby and, and starting their family. It's really, really great. Um, just in closing, Heather, are there things that we need to talk about more that are really important for you to, for you to share, share with everybody? And, you know, and, and um, you know, for someone looking at, you know, why this book, right? What, what is it about this book that, that, um, that, that you need to let them know why they should read this book? Because I think it's an incredible work. And, I, and I, I think people, everybody should read it if they're ready to start a family or have a family. Um, but I'd love to hear from you, like why this book and, and what's your, 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 uh, your, your parting words for everybody so they understand what you're really trying to get at here. I think this book for me is really a mission and it's about something bigger than you and me and that we can learn how to care for ourselves in our environment and through us learning to care for ourselves in our environment when we are tasked with becoming parents and we have a child uh, Ayurveda teaches the very basic principles of how you know someone is healthy it's like complete no-brainer stuff that somehow we have forgotten but when you have a child who can't talk and who can't, who's a baby because they don't know how to, they don't know how to speak yet. You will be able to read whether or not your child is healthy without them speaking to you. You will be able to notice. And we really, really, really need parents to have these skills in our society and in our culture today, because if we can care for ourselves better, we will care for our children better, and we will have a better society overall. So to me, this book is so much bigger than, yeah, just go get you know, healthy before you get pregnant. This book really is, we are making a better group of little kids that are going to create a better society. So that's, I, I hope that people get a sense of there being something bigger with the work that we're doing with this book. 
Mm. That's true. Ayurveda. Ayurveda is not about you know. It's the it's the you know the it's always always about the whole. You know, is much greater than the sum of the parts, right? And it's always truly about that. So I'm so grateful that you were able to bring that message because that's really the the critical message. And and you know that family unit has to be really balanced from the inside out for us to really enjoy the family that we're all trying to create, you know? Um, yeah. So, so beautiful. So how can folks learn more? How can they get the book? Um, you know, where can they find out more about it and, and find out more about you? So uh, my website is www.heathergrish.com. And my last name is spelled G R Z Y C H. And the book is available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble and uh, Indie bound. Uh, so it's, it's available May 5th and uh, again, heathergrish.com. And uh, those are the main places I'd say. And the book is the Ayurvedic guide to fertility. Thank you so much for writing this book and everybody definitely don't miss this book. It's a really important book and should be on your shelf. If you're thinking about having a family, this book definitely needs to be on your shelf. All right. Thank you all. Thank you, Heather, for coming. Wonderful being here with you. Good. Thank you.